about one of those digital tests that say yes, no. <laughs> and it was like 5.30 in the morning. I'm up, I'm getting ready for work. And I'm like, okay, let's do this. That's Victoria Matlas. And just like she'd hoped, that little digital test stick said yes, she was pregnant. At like 6.15 in the morning, I jump into bed, jump on my husband, all excited. And it was like, it was great. It was very exciting, very happy. Later in the day, she started to make the long list of decisions that she needed to make now. You got to figure out like what stroller to get, what car seat to get, what furniture to buy, how much clothes you need. How do you know what you need, what you don't need? There's so much out there. It's so much research. And then everybody feels the need to tell you everything when you're pregnant. So that's always fun. And indeed, some of Victoria's decisions were medical in nature. That involved thinking about longer-term considerations for her family-to-be. You know, I think for young moms, they're getting bombarded with information. That's Dr. Christine Peters. She's an obstetrician at Markham Stovall Hospital in Toronto. She's well-respected and has delivered more than 7,000 babies over the past 30 years. She says that moms today are way more stressed out than when she started. They're working full-time, most of them. They've got a lot of stuff on their plates. Dr. Peters tells us that one of the potentially important decisions new moms are faced with is the chance to store their baby's umbilical cord stem cells because the only opportunity they have to do this is immediately after their baby is born. In the cord at any given time, you probably only have 50 to 100 cc's of blood maximum. It's more how much blood is actually in the placenta that's continually coming and going through the cord. These cells that they extract from the um, umbilical cord basically are stem cells, which means they have the potential to become any cell in our body. So if they're collected and stored, the umbilical cord stem cells that Dr. Peters is referring to might be able to be used for a future medical requirement should the need arise. Knock on wood. We know at this point that it can be used for and has been used for over 80 different types of different medical issues, whether it be certain cancers, certain blood disorders, um, certain genetic disorders, um, tumors. The facts tell us that 10 years ago, the number of approved conditions treatable with cord blood cells was 30. To have Dr. Peters confirm for us now that this number's increased to 80 in a relatively short period of time, perhaps suggests the need for pregnant moms to look further into the option to collect and bank their baby's cord blood. Victoria's experience in becoming aware of cord blood banking is apparently pretty typical. Often, it's at an obstetrician visit when moms-to-be first hear about the chance to store their baby's umbilical cord cells. Victoria tells us about when she was first made aware. So when I came into my OB's office, there was a poster and... I was like, oh, this is interesting. And it rang a bell because you watch all these TV shows and uh, you see all this stuff with like stem cells and everything and they end up saving babies. So to a pregnant mom like Victoria, how important is it to be given information on umbilical cord blood banking? We've always tried to make that a priority just to make sure people have the information, not to tell them this is something they should do or must do, is that you need to have the information so they can make an educated and informed choice that they're comfortable with. So they're not looking down there and say, if I had only known that was an option, I would have done something differently. 
And I think that's really the key. So I just don't want people to lose that opportunity. One of the thoughts we posed to Dr. Peters was how well moms-to-be might digest cord blood banking information that, at first glance, might seem scientific and technical. Although in the lab it's very complex, in the concept of what it can be used for and how it would work, I think that that's information that can be um, translated without much difficulty at all. So... What are the main considerations for parents when it comes to storing babies' umbilical cord blood? So basically, the three options that every pregnant couple has to come to terms with is whether they want to store this blood for their own potential personal use, where they would have control over whether it's used for their child or potentially a sibling of this child or another family member if it's compatible. The second option would be that really of donation that blood would then go into a publicly registered bank. The one thing is for the family is they have no right to that sample of blood over anyone else. So basically they relinquish the right to that, but there is the potential it could be useful for someone, somewhere, sometime. If you and your partner are from the same ethnic background, there is a higher chance of getting a compatible match for your child. If you're both from very different ethnic backgrounds, becomes increasingly unlikely for you to find a compatible match for your child. And the third option really is that of just being treated as medical waste, so it's just not used at all, it's totally discarded, and any potential for benefit to anyone has been lost. In our discussions, it's been suggested that some moms might worry that collecting the umbilical cord blood could interfere with their own birthing plan. So how does the collection take place? How simple is the process? I think it's such a miracle. Life, any time you see a new baby being born, you're part of that very, very precious experience of being a part of probably the most intimate and most important part of most people's lives is an absolutely incredible thing. Once the baby's born, we put the baby right up on the mom's tummy. And then while she's just um, bonding with her baby, we're just down at the other end, and it takes literally just a couple of minutes to get the best sample. After that collection, the sample's transported to the storage facility. It's processed and then cryopreserved for potential use in the future. I think what you're really hoping for is that you're never going to need to use it, but that you've got the peace of mind there that there could be something there that could be beneficial if a very serious medical condition or situation arrived. So why did Victoria take the chance to store her baby's cord blood? Basically, to us, it's an insurance policy. And we're okay that we have insurance for ourselves. Why wouldn't we do it for our child? Speaking to people we know, like, after the fact, they regret not doing it. And they're like, you know, we probably should have, or we weren't aware of it, and things like that. Those are usually the answers. Who knows where life will lead, but when you need it, you want it there. And it's the potential discoveries for what umbilical cord blood cells may be used for in the future that Dr. Peters considers important. And that weighed heavily in Victoria's decision-making. There's a great amount of research going on for things like autism, cerebral palsy, diabetes, stroke. So the potential down the road is really potentially unlimited. Everything changes. Forget medicine, even technology. Uh, com compare your cell phone from 10 years ago to today. It's night and day. So I believe the same goes for medicine. 
Like I know I was reading there's trials on autism and stuff like that. And it's become something that's so common nowadays uh, that you got to do what you can to give your kid a fighting chance because you don't know. In our next episode of Cord Blood, What Are the Chances?, we'll explore in a bit more depth the research and clinical trials that are evaluating the future potential of cord blood stem cells. We talked to Dr. Ian Rogers from the Mount Sinai Hospital research team about some of the therapies and medical advances being investigated using cells derived from umbilical cord blood and tissue. So our goal is to take cord blood cells and then make a kidney from that. Just look at the history of things we've done in in the last 10 years and then the last 20 and the last 50. Things move exponential and, and really the stem cell field has been moving along now for 40 years. We'll close our discussion in this episode with a final thought from Dr. Peters. Thanks for joining us. Having the opportunity to potentially have your sample stored for you and for your family so that you can make whatever decisions down the road you want. If a critical event arises, then those options are open to you. This has been What Are the Chances? A podcast by Inception, Canada's leader in cord blood and cord tissue storage. You probably have a dozen questions about timing, security, and cost. Answers to those questions and more are available at inception.com. Additional cord blood storage information is also available at parentsguidetocordblood.org.